Matthew chapter 21 is our text. If you'd stand with me as we read verses 1 through 9. It says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of the donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You may be seated. Now, as we referred to it several times today, this is the Sunday that we traditionally call Palm Sunday. And what we just read is the reason why. It's the day that Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem with his followers and where those, many of those people cut palm branches down and they waved them at Jesus and they laid them down for him to, uh, for his procession to walk on. And some laid their clothes down, their coats down in front of him for them, for, for him to, uh, to walk on. Signifying the fact that there was royalty making its way through the city. The crowd waved those palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can't imagine. It must have been an amazing day. Must have been an amazing time to see Jesus after three years of ministry, after three years of healing, after three years of teaching, after three years of provision. I mean, come on. He raised a guy from the dead. He fed thousands with a little boy's lunch. He healed people from a, an amazing disease that was so horrible that when people got leprosy, they had to stay outside away from society and had to yell out unclean just so they could pass by. Jesus spent three years doing this. And all that time he was attacked by the religious elite. All that time he was uh, they, they tried to uh, plot and find ways to arrest him and kill him, and they never could. And here he is this last week, this, this Sunday, coming into Jerusalem, and his followers are hailing him as a king. Now, his followers had been told plainly what was going to happen. He also told them that he was going to be leaving them. He also said that he was going to be brutalized and killed. So this shouldn't have been a surprise to them. This entire time shouldn't have been a surprise. They were told to be prepared. They were told to expect it, kind of like what we've been told and warned about in the Bible about the days before Christ's return. We are told to expect it, to prepare for it, to watch for the signs. Now, just as a side note, one thing that is always, 
I don't know, it's intrigued me about this week. I, I won't say angered me, but it's always intrigued me about this week. And that's the change in the crowd. Here this first day, man, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We're celebrating, we're, we're seeing our King, our Messiah, our Deliverer. He's coming to Jerusalem and they're celebrating him as King. And they're telling everybody that would listen, this is the one. Yet in less than a week, many of these same people will be in a mob rejecting Jesus, calling for the release of Barabbas, a, a career criminal, and saying, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him. I always, I've always wondered as, as a kid and all the way up to where I'm at now, I've always wondered, how could, how could it switch so quickly? How could things change for people so quickly? Now, it wasn't everybody, don't get me wrong, not everybody that was crying Hosanna was then crying crucify him, but many were. And I don't know what it was that changed their hearts and minds. I don't know what they were going through that brought them to that point. But I've always wondered. And I kind of wonder the same thing nowadays. How can people who have followed Christ for so many years, how can people who have given their lives and their hearts and, and ministered and served suddenly just turn and walk away? I don't understand it. When we come to this week, many times as Christians, we tend to romanticize it. And I don't, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Please don't get me wrong, because this is the most important week for us in our faith. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, is absolutely our day of victory, right? But to sim and what I mean by romanticizing it is this, to simply see the events and remember them without learning some practical lessons from them would be, I believe, in large part, missing the point. Yes, Jesus entered Jerusalem and spent the week finalizing his ministry, which culminated in his death, burial, and resurrection. But why did he do what he did? Why... And what he showed us and taught us, why did he do these things this last week? We all face difficulties in our lives, right? Everybody has a tough week. I can tell many times, as the pastor, I can tell how people, without talking to people, I can tell how people's week has gone by the way worship goes. If it, if, it start, if it starts off kind of slow and the band is real loud and that's all we can hear is the worship team, then I kind of sense that people are a little bit, a little bit low. It's been a rough week and, and we've kind of dragged ourselves. You ever, ever be that way? You ever dragged yourself to Sunday? And I have. I've dragged myself to Sunday. But, it, but the important thing is you dragged yourself here because you know what's here for you. And then as, as the band goes on and they get a little bit of themselves into the music and they get a little passionate about it 
and you see them start to change and you hear the voices start to change and the music starts to, they hit those strings a little louder and you see the faces get a little bit brighter and some of them kind of, they're moving with the music and I know we're, we're Baptists, we're not supposed to do that, right? Um, but um, I see a change in the, and then I see a change in the congregation and I hear a change in the congregation. And I hear people truly getting what worship is supposed to be at that point. You can almost feel healing and refilling and refueling going on. We all face those difficulties. Many of us live with those difficulties. You know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, we live all week with difficulties, right? We live all week with challenges. We live all week with struggles. And we come here to Sunday morning and it's like, all right, it's going to be over now. No, we come to Sunday morning knowing that when we walk out of here, those same difficulties and struggles are still going to be there. They're still going to be there. What we come to Sunday morning for is to get refilled and refueled and to be regenerated, to get, to get energy to, to face that next week. But we all have those difficulties and we all go through those valleys. We all go through those struggles every day. But there's a difference between everyday struggles and catastrophic life-changing problems. And I think right now, many Christians are at that point. We're facing life-changing, catastrophic issues. Not necessarily financial matters, not necessarily family matters, more personal struggles, struggles of faith, struggles of belief. Let's, let's just get down and dirty into the mud of it all, okay? We're, many Christians right now are struggling as to whether they want to continue on in church because church is being tagged with a very bad name. And we're being called unloving and hateful and this and that. And there's, I now hear pastors, some, some amazing, some, some gentlemen who used to be amazing Bible teachers are now just discounting the Bible and, and promoting science and, and saying that the Bible has it all wrong. And what are, you know, what, what are people who listen to them and people who follow their teachings supposed to do? And now people are at that point where there are many people, and maybe, maybe you're here this morning at that point questioning your faith and questioning whether you truly want to go on. Listen, man, we're losing, we're losing young people in droves right now from our church. We're losing them in droves. And folks, if your kids, just a side note, if your kids are in the public school and you're not paying attention to what's being taught, you better get your head out of the sand and get busy learning what your kids are, are being taught. I'm building a little army of East Long Meadow parents to, uh, to be ready. And uh, my kids are going to hate it. And I don't care because I don't want garbage being taught. You want to teach them how to read, write, add, subtract, multiply, and divide? Cool. You leave the morality to me, okay? You leave the moral issues to me. I don't need your morality being taught to my children. I don't need your religion being taught to my children. I'll take care of that. That's not what I send them to school for. And they'll know that, and they've already heard that. Anyway, we face those struggles. And I'm not talking about the everyday struggles. I'm talking about those life-changing events, the big ticket items in life. You know, like Jesus was facing. 
a crowd of tens of thousands that are calling for your murder. Like knowing the entire week leading up to it, that the city you just entered would be the city in which you would be tortured, embarrassed, beaten, and killed brutally. Now we may not face those exact kinds of circumstances, but sometimes, man, doesn't, doesn't life feel like it comes awfully close? <laughs> Seriously, sometimes doesn't life feel like it comes awfully close to the suffering and the struggle that Jesus went through? And I'm not comparing us to Jesus and what his mission was, please don't misunderstand me. Here's my whole point. We can, look, we can look at what Jesus went through, and we can talk about what Jesus went through. We can remember what Jesus went through. We can praise him, and we can sing, and we can celebrate communion, and we can do all the things we do during Easter, and you can hide eggs for your kids, and you can have Easter egg rolls, like rolling the stone away, and then Easter Sunday, we can come here and have church, and we can have all the great times at church, and then we can have ham, which is kind of odd, you know, how ham became, how ham became the traditional Easter Sunday meal. But um, anyway, uh, you'd have to study the Jewish faith in Passover for that. But uh, it's kind of, we, we could do all that. And we can totally miss the point of what this time is supposed to be all about. You see, I believe that whatever, everything that Jesus did was on purpose for a purpose. And I believe that the last week of his life leading up to his crucifixion, leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection for our final ultimate victory over sin. I believe that last week he was teaching us. I believe that last week he was showing us something very important because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest who can't be touched with our infirmities, who can't be touched with our struggles, who can't be touched with our difficulties in life. Jesus knows what it's like to struggle with, uh, with the effects of life. He knows what it's like to go through a week where the end is worse than the beginning. And he knows what it's like to face insurmountable struggle and difficulty and still push through. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I believe Jesus, through this last week, was intentionally teaching us, his followers, a lesson about endurance. I believe that Jesus was laying out for us a roadmap to follow when we face a major personal crisis in life, a crisis that might threaten our family or our marriage or our home, our career, our life, or even our faith. And quite honestly, the, the crux of this message, the, the real passion in my heart for this message is for people who are questioning their faith from young people to older people, to middle-aged people, to the rest of us. We are in a place and a point in history, it was prophesied, where we're seeing masses turn away from Jesus and walk away from the church. We're seeing churches who have had great influence, not just in their community, but over the world, throughout the world. We're seeing them fall in great embarrassment. 
And it's causing many Christians to get to a point of questioning their faith. We're seeing our, our youth being propagandized with so much that is anti-Bible and anti-God. And they're questioning their faith and they're questioning whether they want to go on. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're dealing with some, maybe you're helping someone through. How do you survive it? How do you survive it? Listen, I've been there. I've been in those dark times. I've been through times where <sighs> there's really not many people to talk to you about it and help you out with it because not many people have walked those roads. They can help, they can pray, they can encourage. But there are times when you're going to have to walk that road. There's no avoiding it. If you want to be victorious for, for, for Christ, if you want to hold on to your faith, you're going to have to walk that road. How do you do it? How do you practically walk through a personal crisis and keep your faith strong and actually come out on the other end, on the other side, stronger and better and more powerful and more passionate about your faith? How do we survive a personal crisis of faith? That's the question today. Now, that may seem like an odd question to draw from this, this, uh, this Sunday and this week of Jesus Christ, but remember what he knew was coming. Being arrested in the garden wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Being put on a mock trial and having his beard pulled out and being spit on, being punched and being beaten, being whipped, and then carrying a cross and having your hands and feet nailed to that cross and a thorny crown pressed into your head and literally life bleeding from your body. Remember this, that wasn't a surprise to Jesus. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. And yet, this whole week, Jesus didn't run and hide. He didn't look for a safe house. He didn't try to find someone else to blame. He didn't get on a, a, a horse and ride as fast as he could out of town. He continued to serve and minister in the middle of a great personal crisis. How do we survive that? I want to give you some principles that I see from Jesus in this week that maybe just maybe you need right now because you're struggling with your faith. You're struggling with whether or not it's worth it to continue on. Listen, I'm not talking about renouncing Jesus and walking away. I'm talking about not being involved, not being faithful, doing something else and just walking away from serving God, walking away from the church and just saying, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. I'm just going to play out the string. I'm just going to live out the final notes of my life just doing what I do. It's just not worth it. It's too difficult. Every time I do something, something happens. I've got too many people blasting me and no, everybody says that what I believe in doesn't make sense. Everybody says that what I believe in is wrong. And they're trying to, every time I turn on the TV, every time I go online, everything I do, they're hammering me for what I believe. I'm just going to give up. You know, you may not verbalize that, but that may be what's playing out in your life. So how do you survive that? 
How do you endure that and get to the other side? Because man, we've got to get to the other side, folks. We've got to get, do you understand that? We've got to get to the other side. We can't lose more. We can't lose more people. We can't lose other, we've got to get to the other side. So how do we do it? How do we survive a personal crisis of faith? The first thing we must do is this. Choose to do the right thing. When you were a kid, your parents taught you about choices, right? Maybe it was your grandparents. As a parent, you teach your kids about choices. Make good choices. Make smart choices. Make right choices. Choose the right things. And if we're, if we're Christian parents who are, who are sold on the word of God and we're trying to raise our kids with Christian principles, we tell them, choose the right thing according to the word of God. Make sure that, the light, that as you view life, you view it through the lens of God's word. View it through the lens of the Bible. Listen, that's not going to be popular. It's not going to be popular. But you're not called to be popular. You're called to be faithful. All right? That's it. You're not called to be popular. You're called to be faithful. So choose to do the right thing. Jesus was focused on his mission. Nothing that happened this week, nothing that had happened in the previous 33 years of his life dissuaded him from what he was about to go through. In fact, Jesus told the disciples to prepare the way. And as the week went on to prepare the room for Passover, Jesus knew what was coming and he chose to continue on. Listen, choosing to do the right thing is not necessarily choosing to do the easy thing. And it most definitely is a choice. You can choose to stand and move forward, or you can choose to wither away. And listen, I'm not, please, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to beat up people who choose the different way, to choose to walk away. My heart breaks. I pray for my brothers and sisters who walk away. I know how tough it, it, it can be. Please believe me, understand this. I know how tough it can be. There are people who use my name as a swear word simply because I'm a pastor of a church. Let that sink in. I know what you're going through. I know the struggles you face. I, I listen, I work at I, one of my, a part-time job at the high school and I have <laughs> teachers I talk to and, and they, <laughs> You know, one of the most frustrating things, Jeremy, one of the most frustrating things, Jess, in my life is not being taken seriously. My gosh. Hey, I'm, I'm subbing and, and subs and paras get no respect at all in this. In, in, but anyway. Um, did you go to college? Well, yeah, I'm just I'm not just flopping out here at the school. I'm actually, I'm actually helping because you have a heck of a lot of days off as a teacher because of your ridiculous contract. I'm sorry, I didn't say that out loud. Uh, and somebody has to fill in while you're off painting your house or something. I don't do it because I, I'm not desperate for the money. I do it because they need it. I, t I told you before, man. On the sub list, I'm telling you, on the sub list of the school, they asked if they could put my name on the sub. I said, you could put my name on the, and I was told, I'm dead serious. You could put my name on the bottom of that list. 
And if you finally get to the bottom of that list and there's, there I am, you could call, but man, I, I don't know how many times I've subbed. I feel like I've, I feel like I should take a full-time job. So I'm not doing it because I want to spend my days at the high school. Please, like my sister Sue, I could have done without it, right? <laughs> could, have, could have just avoided school altogether. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. But, Maya, that's not an excuse. But <laughs> they need help. And they look at you like you're something that they just scraped off your shoe because you're a sub or you're a para. Then they say, I say, well, you know, I spent all seven years in college to do this, to be a lunch monitor. And then they look at me and, oh, what'd you go to college for? My, major, my, my degree is in cross-cultural studies and theology. Oh, oh. sorry, it's not physics. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's not biology or something that you deem important. It was really frustrating, man. It's frustrating. But you know what? I'm not called to be taken seriously by the world. Said all that to say this. I'm not called to be taken seriously. And whether or not people take me seriously will not determine whether or not I will continue to follow Jesus Christ. You know why? Because I know what matters in this life. What matters in this life is finding out the truth about Jesus Christ and accepting that. And for me, as a follower of Christ, what matters in this life is getting beyond the noise, getting beyond the criticism, getting beyond the lack of being taken seriously, and saying, I love you no matter what, and I want to share my faith because you need it. If you reject it, you reject it. But you need to hear about Jesus Christ. You need to hear about Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will continue to do what I do. I will continue to, to listen, folks, this is where we have to get. This is the place we have to get to as Christians. I'll continue to endure your mocking. I'll continue to endure your jokes. I'll continue to endure the attacks you make on my faith and on my belief system and on the word. Because what I know is what you need. What I know is more important than how, I, how my feelings might get hurt. You see, we've got to choose to do the right thing. Jesus did because Jesus knew that his dying on the cross, being buried and rising again was more important than the shame and humiliation and personal pain he had to go through. You see what I'm talking about? We've got to choose to do the right thing. Jesus and, and, and Jesus didn't just sneak into Jerusalem, right? Jesus entered Jerusalem, man. He was the, he was, remember, remember all those times when he first started out? He said, go and present yourself to the priest or go do this, go do that, but don't tell anybody. Right? Do you remember, you remember reading that? Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Remember when his mother came to him and said, uh, they were in Cana at a marriage, at a wedding feast, and they ran out of wine. And Mary came to Jesus and she said, there's out of wine. And Jesus looked at her and he says, well, what do you want me to do about it? It's not my time. And what did he do? He went up and he took care of it. It wasn't his time. Well, now this was his time. And Jesus entered Jerusalem like the, the conquering king. First Peter 3.14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. James 4.17 
So it is sin to know the do, to know the good and yet not do it. Determine that no matter what, you and your faith in Jesus are going to survive. Man, that's the first step. That's the first step. Choose to do the right thing. You're not going to give up. Listen, young people, you might be at a point where you're questioning your faith. Let me tell you, if you're questioning your faith, don't go sit around with your, your friends at lunchtime and debate life and debate morality and what they think. You need to dig into the word. Let Jesus have the first opportunity to win your loyalty. Please, adults, let Jesus have the first opportunity to continue to have your loyalty. And if you can't come to the end of it after a personal search, after beseeching him and praying and asking him, if you can't continue to follow him, then walk away. But at least give him the first choice, the first chance to earn your loyalty. The second thing we must do, and we'll go through these quickly because we're running out of time. Commit to your purpose without fear. Second thing is commit to your purpose without fear. Commit to your purpose without fear. You're a child of God, man. You're a child of God. You're a son or daughter of the king. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have eternity. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, if he's forgiven you of your sins, if he is your savior, if you can claim him as your savior, you have eternity in heaven guaranteed. You cannot lose that. He says, you're mine. You're mine. No take backs. You're mine. But now you have a purpose. Commit to your purpose without fear. Why, do, why, why did I throw without fear in there? Because it's going to get scary. It's going to get scary. There are going to be times where you have to make a decision. Do I do, what's, do, I, do I do what's right according to the word of God? Or do I do what's easy? And do I cut corners? Don't cut corners. Commit to your purpose without fear. That's why we call it faith, right? That's why Jesus says it's faith. Put your faith in him and let him take care of the details. Let him lead you and guide you in understanding and learning. Decide that even while you're going through the struggle, you will seek God and his plan for you. You don't understand what's going on. Man, I've, I've, we've all, a lot of us have been there. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing it or mocking it. Well, a lot of us have been there. We know what it's like. I know what it's like to personally struggle with these amazing issues that are going on in life. But decide that even though you're going through the struggle, you will continue to seek God and his plan for you because there is a plan. Do you have a verse for that, John? Absolutely, I have a verse. Remember the story of Job? Yes. New believers call that book in the Bible Job. <laughs> Is Job, right? Job, man, this dude had everything, right? He was wealthy, he was the wealthiest guy in the area. <laughs> Beautiful family, had everything. And in less than an hour, he lost everything. And then his physical body was attacked. And he was, had boils from the head, top of his head to the bottom of his feet. So bad that he was sitting in the junkyard taking out uh, shards of pottery that his either 10, 13, or 17-year-old kid broke in the kitchen. Right? 
And he was taking those shards of pottery and he was digging out the boils from his skin. That's how bad it was. Listen to what Job says. Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. As a sophomore in high school, I was going through some incredibly dark waters. A sophomore. And because of that, I started reading the book of Job. And I came to Job chapter 23. And I came to Job chapter 23, verse 8. And I came to Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. And those verses made such an impact in the life of a sophomore in high school <clears throat> that I've hung on to them and claimed them as my life verse. And when times are tough, I go back because I know he, if he's going to be faithful to a sophomore in high school, <laughs> he's going to be faithful to an old man. He's going to be faithful all the way. Job 23, 8 through 10. Job is speaking. Now tell me if you don't feel this. All right. Job is talking about God here. All right. Understand Job's talking about God. He's not talking about his homies on the block. All right. He's not talking about his buddies at the bar. Job is talking about God here. All right. He says, if I go east, he is not there. If I go west, I can't perceive him. When he's at work in the north, I can't see him. When he turns south, I can't find him. God's nowhere. God has abandoned me. He has left me alone. I'm here without the one that said he would never leave me or forsake me. Or at least that's how I feel right now. Have you been there? Amen. He says, man, this is exactly how I feel. I feel like God has walked away, has left me alone, and I've got nothing but my pain, my misery, and my embarrassing loss. That's where I am. Deal with that. Do something with that. But that's not where he stops. Look at what he says. Yet he knows the way I have taken. <laughs> when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. <laughs> Holy cow. What the what? Dude, look at your life. You lost your children. You lost everything you worked for. And now you're in so much pain, you can't hardly breathe without your toenails hurting. And you're still going to trust him? He says, absolutely, because he knows the road I'm on. And at the end of this is something greater than was at the beginning of it. And if you read the end of Job's story, he had twice as much after as he did before. God is faithful. We just have to continue down the path until we get to that place. So commit to your purpose without fear. Number three, and we're going to be skipping through some there, Jonathan. Number three, pray for everything and everyone. When you're going through darkness, pray for everything and everyone. Man, pray for your dog. Pray for your drive. I don't care. Pray for your car tires. I don't know. Pray for everything and everyone. Why? Because it keeps you in communication with God. Amen. It keeps you in communication with the one who could solve your problems. 
Jesus agonized in the garden for himself and for others. Read John chapter 17. We call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he prayed for his followers. He prayed for us in John 17. You understand that? Read it in John chapter 17. You'll read where he says, I don't pray for just them. I don't pray for just these. I pray for those who will follow me later. My transliteration there. Those who will come after them. I'm praying for them right now, Father. Jesus prayed for everything, man. Everything and everyone. What am I trying to say here? You, when you're going through struggles, you need to stay connected to your source. Stay connected to your source. Young people, stay connected. Married couple, stay connected to your source. Single people, stay connected to your source. Parents who are struggling with your children, stay connected to your source. Pray for everything and everybody. Communicate with God about your issue, your complaint, your anger, your desire, and then wait for his answer. After all, if you can't talk to him about it, who can you talk to that can really make a difference? Seriously. Matthew 5, says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's most of our response, right? Can I share with something very personal right now with you? Uh, most, I think everybody knows that I'm on my second marriage right now. My sister Donna and I communicate about what it's like to go through divorce. Uh, it's no picnic. It's not fun. I was married for 30 years. 30 years. Count them. 30 years when my first marriage ended. And it didn't end pretty. It didn't end pretty. It still doesn't end pretty. Can I be honest with you? I pray for my ex-wife. Erin <laughs> is on her second marriage. That's me. I pray for her ex-husband. Why? Because the Bible tells me to. Because I want my heart to be soft before God. Because I don't want any root of anger and bitterness to take hold in my life. I pray for people who have, mommy, they were mean to me. <laughs> I can't even say that without laughing. I pray, for, I pray for people who consider themselves my enemy. Why? Because I, listen, God's going to deal with them the way he wants to, but I need to make sure that my heart is soft before God. I need to make sure that I'm not having struggles and I, I don't allow a root of bitterness to come up in my life. I need to make sure, and it's not easy. It's not easy, but I do it, and you should too. Pray for everything and everybody. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. God will teach you why you're going through it. Next, you need to, here we go, you need to fellowship with others. Fellowship with other believers. Jesus spent this entire week with his friends. Teaching and training and eating and talking and ministering and teaching and training and talking and ministering and fellowshipping. That's what fellowship is. So while you're going through a struggle, fellowship with other believers, you absolutely need it even though you don't think you do. You absolutely need it. 
You need to fellowship with the right people that will speak life to you and help to grow a hope in you. People that will speak life to you. And you never know who you will give the hope to to take another step. So you need to fellowship with others. You need to surround yourself with other believers. I know that's difficult here in our area because there's so few. But New Life, that's why we need to be more than just a family in word. We need to be a family, period. We need to be connected. We need to at least, and I'm bad at this. I, I'm just, I don't know if it's because I'm old or what, but remembering people's names. Jeez, I, I'm bad at That's why I've got Erin, because Erin's mind, she remembers everything. I need her at my side. Like Maya was telling me about in, in Rome, the slaves who, who said to stand there and remember everybody's name, right? And Aaron's, Aaron is my reminder. I'm not going to say she's my slave. We went through that this morning, okay? And she's like, what's her name again? And she'll remind me. But we need to at least be able to recognize each other. Now that, we, now that most of us aren't wearing masks anymore, it's that much easier, right? Yeah. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They didn't just devote themselves to teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship, getting together over a cup of coffee, maybe a bagel or a Danish or, I don't know, a gluten-free, I don't know, I, I don't know, you could talk to... Um, yeah, whatever. Gluten-free, non-meat cake. Uh, cake. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me something gluten-free, like a steak. <laughs> That's it. So number four is fellowship with others. Number five, busy yourself with service to others in your church. Busy yourself with service to others. Reach out to other people. In my struggle, yes, in your struggle. And I would go as far as to say, because of your struggle. Reach out to others. Reach out to others in your church. Let's, let's, let's build this body strong. Reach out to others. You notice people that aren't here. We have, we have people who are sick. We have people who, they're, they're not here because they can't be here. Have you reached out to them? And, and, and said, hey, we miss you, and can I do anything for you? Can I help you out at all? Reach out to others and minister to them. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. <laughs> he made sure that they had what they needed for Passover. Jesus served his followers. What does it do for you? It reinforces your purpose and helps you to see that you're serving something greater than you. It helps you to see beyond your problems. Get involved in a serving ministry in our church. It won't only keep you busy, it'll also keep you around busy people. And it's been my, it's been, it's been what I've learned through the years that busy people in the church, not overly busy people in the church, but busy people in the church are the people that you want to surround yourself with because they're people you're going to learn from. They're people you're going to catch passion from. They're people you're going to start to understand what this life is all about. Number six is this, carry your cross. 
carry your cross. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Carry your cross. One of my, I'll say favorite, and that, one of my favorite parts of the crucifixion story is when Jesus just couldn't take another step carrying that cross. What happened? Simon of Cyrene came and carried it the rest of the way. Man, when you're carrying your cross, you're just, you're just in a line with other believers carrying their cross. And you never know when it's going to be too heavy for them and you can help pick up their cross and take those steps so that they can regain their strength and get to their ultimate destination. Carry your cross. Can I add this? Carry your cross with dignity. Carry your cross with dignity. Jesus walked the long road without complaint and without shame. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't look for attention. Just carry your cross. God will bring you the strength you need through the right people if you'll just let him. Endurance. 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 Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus said, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. Carry your cross and carry your cross with dignity. And last... Finish strong and give God the glory. Finish strong and give God the glory. I think one of the most powerful, powerful statements Jesus made on the cross is when he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I've done all I can do, Father. I've, I've, I've come to the end of the road. I'm at the end. I've gone all the way. Take me, I'm yours. Then he said, it's finished. Finish strong and give God the glory. Finish strong. Give God the glory. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Finish strong. Listen, I have no idea what you're going through. I do know this. When God totally changes the plan he's given me to preach a certain message like he did here, it's for a reason. And I don't know if you're the reason. I don't know if there's many of you that are reason, but I know there's a reason why this message needed to be preached today. And I'm not saying I'm Joe prophet or anything like that. I am simply the deliverer of a message that God gave to me. And he gave it to me today for a reason. And I, I hope that if you're the reason or one of the reasons, if you're questioning your faith or you're struggling, or you're saying, I don't know if I could take another step, then maybe, just maybe, the example of Jesus going through this last week of his life and then finally carrying his cross to the ultimate destination will give you the strength you need to take another step and then take another step.
and then take another step. Or maybe times are good for you, but you realize, man, it's, I need to invest in other people because other people are where I was. And when I get to where they are, I want them to be there for me, if that makes any sense. How do you survive a personal crisis? Be like Jesus. Follow him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the service today. Thank you for the, the endurance of your people. Lord, it's, it's been a good day. I thank you for your direction, your love, and your compassion to us. Lord, as we look at this week, as we remember what, what this was all about, I, I'm at a loss to understand the depth and the width of your love. I don't know why, but I'm so thankful that you did. Lord, I know that we're living in a time where people are struggling. Your children are struggling. Lord, even if we're not at the point of wanting to give up, we're still struggling with purpose and meaning. Father, I pray that you'll answer. I pray that you will give that extra strength to just take another step. Would you burden each and every one of us to be guardians of each other? May we reach out and come together as a church with all the new people that have come in here and all the people that are coming back. Lord, may we reach out and and make those connections that will, will be strong and will help us to endure. Lord, may we remember this week. Would you bring back to our minds what this is all about? And would you open doors for us so that we will be able to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. Thank you so much for the privilege of sharing communion, of remembering. Thank you for the worship today. Lord, it was fulfilling. And thank you for your word. May we go forward in the strength that we received this morning to be worshipers, to be soldiers, to be witnesses for you. In your name we pray. Amen.